So far, we have discussed a lot of things in the last couple messages. We're talking about freedom in Christ. And I want to bring up something that I, that I think is vital and so far is missing from the conversation. And that is this, that we have a lot of enemies that we deal with on a regular basis that are opposing our freedom in Christ. And you need to know that. We need to know that. We need to understand what we are up against, be able to discern their influence in our life, and follow Jesus in, in the midst of that. And today, I, I just want to bring up one of those enemies. And by way of illustration, I just want to tell you this story that I think helps kind of target what we're talking about. One day, I was at a coffee shop, and I was sitting outside, and I started to hear this tap. And it was really loud. It had a little ring to it. It reminded me of when we lived up north, and about 5 a.m. every single morning, we would hear a tapping on our gutter. And at some point, I just wanted to kill whatever it was that was doing said tap. And I found out that it was a woodpecker. Everybody say BB gun. <laughs> Amen. We moved to Federal Way, and it, I thought that woodpecker chased us. It was a crow. And I'll tell you what, woodpeckers, crows, they're gangs. They're gangbangers. They need to be locked up. They need to be locked up. If you know my story at all, you know I have issues with crows, all right? They've identified me in our neighborhood. It's true. I heard this noise when I was sitting at the coffee shop. It reminded me of, of the tapping that we were so accustomed to at both homes. And I look over, and there's this 1970s van with a very shiny chrome bumper, and there's a bird perched on the bumper, tapping the bumper. Bang, bang, bang. And I looked at the bird, and literally what I thought was, dumb bird, you are fighting a reflection of yourself. <laughs> I'm thinking he's going to crack his beak. I'm kind of excited to see what's going to happen. <laughs> and I thought this was a really good il illustration for what we often face in our own spiritual life. Now, I want to say this. I don't think the greatest enemy that we face as a Christian is probably the devil. We do face demonic power. We do face the devil, the world system. We're up against a lot of things. But, and it's not our in-laws, guys. I just want to say that for you today. <laughs> These are not the greatest enemies that we face. I think the greatest enemy that we face is what the Bible calls the flesh. And to make it really clear, what I'm talking about is that sinful, selfish, hardened, amen, unrepentant, <laughs> unsurrendered version of ourselves that traitor that's still let loose, even though we're in Christ, even though we're following Jesus, there's a traitor running around in our life wanting us to walk a different path than what Jesus has said. And, and Paul actually gives us a lot of detail about the flesh as we're going to read today in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to start with verse 13. Here's what he says. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In this statement, you shall love the Lord, or you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are 
immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I think he just got tired. And things like these. (laughs) Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Paul's writing to some churches in the region called Galatia. There are a lot of cities in Galatia. Galatia is not a city, it's a region. Very important to know that. Paul lived in one of or many of these cities. He lived in Antioch. There's Antioch and Lystra and Iconium, many of these cities in this region. Paul had a relationship with a lot of believers. He traveled around. He preached the gospel. And one of the foundational doctrines that Paul preached that we've talked about, but I want to make sure that we know that we know that we know this doctrine was the doctrine of justification by faith. This doctrine, as Paul preached it, upset a lot of people. And here's what we're talking about when we say justification, that Christ came and lived a sinless, righteous life. He died on the cross and our sin was placed on him, meaning that he took our place. And those who put their faith in him are made right with God and their sins are forgiven. We have a clean slate. Everybody say clean slate. But I want to tell you something. There's more than that. I was taught justification was just as if I'd never sinned, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. But it's even more than just as if you'd never sinned. It also means that the righteousness of Jesus was imputed to you and you stand in the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ. It doesn't just mean you have a clean slate. It means that when the father looks at us, he sees Christ. We stand in his perfect obedience. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. And it is scandalous. Is the grace of God not scandalous? And so it upset a lot of religious people, namely these people called the Judaizers. And so as Paul traveled around and preached justification by faith, there was a group of people that said, no, we will not let this stand. So they followed him around and they began to preach slightly a different doctrine to influence people with heresy. So they did preach that you needed Christ, but they also preached you have to observe the law and you're approved by observing the law. You're not approved by what Jesus did. You're approved by observing the law. And so this is what they taught. And Paul writes a letter called Galatians And he's defending the gospel that salvation is by grace through faith. It's not human effort. He also wanted them to know that even though our salvation is by grace through faith, that does not discount the fact that we need to obey God. And so he wanted them to understand that obedience to God flows out of our identity in God. We're not approved by our obedience. Our obedience is our pleasure. It's what we want to do as the spirit of God lives inside of us. And so Paul's addressing two very serious ditches on either side of the road to the path of life. The first one he's addressing is legalism. This is excessive adherence to the law to earn merit toward salvation. 
it produces a false righteousness. It produces self-righteousness. But then on the other side, he's also talking about licentiousness. Now, I won't ask you to repeat after me, but that's not a word that we use anymore. But here's what it means. A casting off of restraint for righteous living, and this produces a false freedom. It's like saying, I am free to live however I want because Jesus forgives me. And Paul corrects that in Romans very severely. He said, just because you've received the grace of God and you have forgiveness in him does not mean that you can keep living how you used to live because it's not who you are. And there were groups of people that when they gave themselves over to the flesh, that's exactly what they did. This is why Paul in his 13 letters exhorted the church again and again and, and again. And so because of this, Paul actually brings up what is really going on, and he wants to pastor us just like he pastored them. There is a war between the flesh and the spirit, and you have to understand this so you know how to live an obedient life before God. Not to be approved by God, but because you love him. Very, very important. So the first thing I want to talk about is what is the flesh, according to Paul? Verse 13 in Galatians 5, he says, you were called to freedom. But do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, the context tells us they were, they were biting and they were, they were causing strife, talking about each other. He said, you're backbiting, you're going to devour each other. So some people were using their freedom in Christ as a justification for indulging in what Paul calls the flesh. But what is the flesh? The, the Greek word for flesh is sarx, which isn't really helpful because it can mean five things in the New Testament, five. Sometimes it's used to mean physical body. So when he says sarx, he means the physical body. But Paul tends to use another word to describe that. So when he uses the word flesh, not all the time, but a lot of the time, he's talking about something ethical. And the way that I understand this the best is that Paul means when he says this, the corrupted human nature. And so here's what other Bible translations call it instead of the word flesh. They say this in the NIV and the NLT. They say the sinful nature. In the Amplified Bible, it says sinful nature, which responds impulsively without regard for God or his precepts. In the NRSV, it says self-indulgence. And the Message Bible says sinful self-interest. When Paul says the flesh in the New American Standard and the other translations, usually it's sinful nature. And this is what it's talking about. The flesh is bent on putting ourselves first. And when we put ourselves first, we are capable of almost anything. Now, you don't look convinced, so I'm going to prove it to you. When I was about five or six years old, I, I think I told you this story years ago, but half of you won't know this at all, and the other half forgot. <laughs> Amnesia. When I was five or six years old, in our neighborhood, we would hear the Popsicle Man. It was Popsicle Joe, and he would drive a postal truck in our neighborhood and sell popsicles. And this is the first time I understood what inflation was. You could go to Safeway and get 100 popsicles for a dollar, or you could go to Popsicle Joe and buy one for a dollar. I grew up in a home where we never buy from Popsicle Joe. Popsicle Joe is the enemy. Popsicle Joe has a demonic agenda. So as a five, six-year-old, I walked up to my mom, and before it could get out of my mouth, she said no. Because like a young boy, that, that 
it was like a siren. That sound was like, do, 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 do. And I was just moved by it, you know. I wanted, you understand, like there's noises in life. And my mom said no. But did that stop me? Of course not. So I turned around the corner and I walked up to my mom's purse. You stop judging right now, right now. I just proved the flesh in two ways. I walked up to my mom, but I did what you're judging me for. I walked up to my mom's purse and I pulled out a bill and it was a $20 bill as a kid. I didn't care. No shoes on, fugitive on the run. I ran out of the house, down the street, doing this. Popsicle Joe stopped his truck. I gave him the bill, didn't even care. And I just pointed at the one I wanted, just like this, tap, 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 just like that. He gave me that. And how many of you know, mama bear was close behind. She took the popsicle out my hand. She got the money back from Joe and little Ben was in trouble. Now I didn't wake up that morning wanting to lie and steal and be a fugitive on the run. I didn't. But when I heard something that I wanted and my mom said, no, I put myself first. And isn't it amazing when you put yourself first, you'll lie, you'll steal, you'll do all of these things that you thought you wouldn't do. And it proves that it's not just nurture, but it is nature. My mom and dad never taught me to lie or steal or run, or they never taught me to do any of that. But I did all of those things because I wanted my popsicle. Now, I don't know what your popsicle is, But when you're fixated on something that you want and you put yourself first, this is what the flesh is. And we will sin. We will do all of these things to get what we want. Paul describes that as the flesh. And it's very important that we have discernment. So Paul gives us that. He tells us, and my second point is, we are at war with the flesh. Look at verse 16. But I say to you, all of your struggles, walk by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. He gives us the answer right there. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for they are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Your born-again spirit desires to. So here's what we understand from this passage. As a believer, we are indwelt by the spirit of God. We have a new identity. We are children of God but this is, this, is, this is the part of us that doesn't want to sin. This is the part of us that wakes up in the morning and knows who we are and wants to walk with our heavenly father, thanking Jesus that he's our savior, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's our born again spirit. However, the old nature still lives inside of us. It's attached to this life and it's not going away. Now, there are some people that teach that it has gone away. Positionally, eternally, that's true. But in this life, If you've been a Christian longer than a few months, you know that you struggle with the flesh. You just just do. And so Paul's describing this traitor that's released inside of us and how it is that we can get a hold of this and subdue it by the Spirit. Now, when I was a young Christian, I was really confused because I got delivered from all these big sins that I was committing. I've talked to you about my past. I have a significant sinful past. I don't glorify it, but I thank God that he's delivered me from it. So I got delivered of all this stuff and I never went back. But I thought, man, I was saved, sanctified, delivered, and I was exactly who God wanted me to be. (laughs) And in a sense, spiritually, I was. I was a child of God. But then these 
feelings started to come back and these temptations started to barrage my mind and, and, and they were plaguing me. And I remember sitting on my floor crying out to God, like, why do I feel this? Why is it so strong? And it makes me feel like I can't say no. And here's the reality. I had to learn my first year of being a Christian that I'm in a war. I thought the war was over, but the war in, in one sense had only begun and I needed to be equipped for how to deal with this. Here's what I came to understand and what I see very clearly in the Bible. Dealing with conflicting desires is not a problem. It's a privilege because we get to choose whom we serve. Ephesians chapter two says, for unbelievers, we were dead in our sins and our transgressions. Romans six says we are incapable of living the righteous life that Jesus calls us to. We are not able because we are dead in sin. So that means when we're made alive in Christ, now we stand before both trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the fruit has been put back on the tree, and we stand back and we get to choose what we're going to eat from. That's what freedom is. Freedom is that you and I have been restored to our God-given choice. When we're an unbeliever, we just live as an unbeliever. We're not alive to God. Biblical freedom is that we're restored to choose God or self. And Paul is a good pastor. So he's like, I'm going to give you discernment on what the fruit of the flesh looks like. And so he does in verse 19, he gives us the whole list. And I wanna break it down in four categories today because you're excited to talk about sin at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. The first category is sexual sin. Now, these words are not all words that we use, so I'm going to break down what I believe the meaning of them are and how it applies today. So number one is adultery. This is where you're married and you have sex with someone else or sexual practice or sexual behavior that you commit with another person that's not your spouse. Fornication, any form of sexual practice before you are married. Pornography, viewing sexually explicit material, which leads to fantasy and other activity. And here's a word we don't use, but the King James Bible does. Lewdness, someone who flaunts their immorality and even entices others to do the same. Now, before you think none of that's you, there's always a spectrum, isn't there? We tend to think in the extreme. Oh, I don't struggle with that. But what we're saying is we don't struggle with the highest version of that. But Paul doesn't distinguish what level of whatever this might be. He actually just says the entire category. And I wanna tell you something about sexual sin. Sex is not a consumer act, it's a covenant act. And this is part of our confusion today. Sex is treated like it's a consumer thing. And so we use one another, we use things to get something that we want. That actually describes, back to my illustration, the flesh in its entirety. It's a consumer act and it needs to be restored in our mind back to a covenant act. It's God-given, it's beautiful in its context, and outside of that, it never will be. He goes on with religious sins, idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry, the worship of created in the place of the creator. Now, back then, they had images that were carved out of stone and other metals, but I talked to you a few weeks ago that sometimes idolatry is where we take a good thing and we make it a God thing in place of God. Idolatry can be anything that takes the place of God in our life. Sorcery, interacting with occult practices, witchcraft of any kind, possible references to drugs, hallucinogenics. That's my opinion, that part of it. 
but this is sorcery. And, and yes, there is a lot of that still going on today. All kinds of this stuff. Number three is relational sins. And have you noticed that it's three times all of the other sins? Because this is really the main thing they were dealing with. They were dealing with the other things, but this actually more than anything. So he says hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, divisions, envy, murders. I just want to highlight a few because there's, there's too many here. Contentions. Listen to this one. As I looked up all these references and I compared and contrasted meanings, I, I want to bring to you definition here. Contentions is strife with other people that promotes a combative and argumentative spirit. Now, I want, here's the word that comes to my mind, a contrarian, a person that enjoys being a contrarian. It is the flesh. Everybody say flesh. If you enjoy just throwing your monkey wrench in just because that is not God, it doesn't uplift the people that you're talking to. It's not the way that he wants us to be. It's not something that we should gloat about. Hey, well, I'm just, you know, that kind of person. It's fine to have discernment. It's fine to ask questions. It's fine to push back at times. But if that's your nature, friends, you're growing in the flesh and not in the spirit. God has called us to be contributive toward the people in our life, not contrarians. And so this is an important one that, that can be a part of our lives. Jealousy, the desire to have what someone else has, which leads to all kinds of actions. But the word that comes to my mind is to be discontent is that we're not content with what we have and we're allowing the advertisement of the world and even people around us that maybe aren't trying to advertise or show it off, they have something and we look at it and we're enticed by it because of what's on the inside, not based on what they're doing, but it's, it's our own flesh that's saying, I don't, I'm missing something in my life and you have it and I'm not gonna like you anymore because you have something I don't have. You have a nicer car than I have. You have the family that I don't have or you have something that I think that I should have and I'm just basically going to put up a wall between our relationship because of it and that's what happens, isn't it? I'm not asking for a show of hands today, but it's true. Outbursts of anger, regularly losing your temper, which leads to sinful words and actions. Now, without a show of hands, I think when we talk about anger, we got to remember it's a spectrum word. Losing your temper and rage. So when somebody talks about anger, we're like, I don't struggle with anger. And then the minute we get into a little bit of tension, our voice starts to raise. And you know you have a problem when you're trying to prove that you're not yelling, even though your voice is amplified. Look, I'm not yelling, okay? This, you want to see yelling? I'll show you yelling. This isn't it. Look, I've done it. I've tried to prove like God delivered me from anger. What I meant, God delivered me from rage. But losing my temper, well, I still need a little deliverance, amen. I'm not happy about it, I'm just telling you. And we have to confess it as sin. We have to understand you can't just lose your temper and be like, oh, it's no big deal. And that, that's what happens. It's no big deal. I can just lose my temper. I can just talk to my spouse or my kids or people around me or people at the restaurant or people at the store. We start to get a little tense because somebody brought us a Coke instead of a Diet Coke. Well, I said, <laughs> diet. You don't want them to speak back to you right now because you're sowing. And what you sow grows. And you're sowing it into them and it's gonna come right back to you. How about you treat people with kindness, right? That's what the, the fruit of the spirit. 
This is the flesh. Ben, I'm not bound. I I don't even know why you're talking about freedom in Christ. Oh, wait, there's more. (laughs) Selfish ambition, serving God or others, ultimately for the glory of ourself. Are we doing it for the Lord? Are we doing it because we selflessly want other people to be built up? Are we doing it for self? Heresies and divisions. We We tend to think, well, you know, I don't... I don't, I don't stir anything up, but stirring up wrongful division among other people because of various opinions. Envy is an internal bitterness because someone has something that I don't, which leads to all kinds of external activity. It provides a bitterness. And the Bible says, don't let a bitter root grow up and defile you. If we allow bitterness to grow, it will defile our entire person. How we see people, how we think, the fact that we will not pray, it, it defiles our, our person. And we become something other than what we are. The last category I'll spend a little time on, sins of excess, drunkenness and carousing. Drunkenness, unrestrained drinking resulting in a person being intoxicated. That means our mind and our emotions are overpowered. I I don't care if it means tipsy. I I don't, whatever word you want to use, where something has affected you to the point where you're no longer who you are. Now, Pastor Ben, do you think people can drink a beer and a glass of wine? I sure do. I think that's fine in moderation. You need to have that relationship with the Lord. But I have lost plenty of friends from social drinking to taking it too far. And all the while, they thought it's not a problem. I've just watched too many people go down that road. And so as a pastor, I have to warn you and say, look, alcohol kills people every year. Alcohol hurts people. Families are destroyed. Marriages are lost. People lose their job. We just have to recognize there is a power at work if we're going to drink and not be intentional. Here's my question to you. If you're driving your car today and you take your hands off the wheel for two seconds, is there going to be a problem? Probably probably two seconds. Probably probably not much. A couple of you do that to your spouse just to have a good time. Just like, hey, you know, it's not funny. Don't do it on date night. And, and she's probably like, oh, you're just, you're silly, right? Do it for five seconds. You're not silly anymore. How about if you do it for 30 seconds? Take the hands off the wheel for 30 seconds. Jesus, take the wheel. Sing the whole song. You can talk about give me one more chance. You're going to have a lot of chances you're going to need. Take your hands off the wheel for five minutes. This is what alcohol is like. When we don't recognize that it has a power to it, if you're going to drink, you better have your hands on the wheel the whole time. You better be intentional with what you're doing. But if you have an unrestrained, if we take our hands off the wheel, it's dangerous in the same way. It has a similar power to taking your hands off the wheel of your car. That's the fact. Listen, it's interesting to me. We just got back from a pastor's conference, thousands of pastors all over the world. It was amazing. It was beautiful. Tribe, kindred, nation, tongue, praising Jesus. I loved it. One of the sad things was, I was in background meetings and I learned that we've dismissed as a movement multiple pastors. And you think it's moral failure with sexual sin because that's the thing that hits the headlines. But can I tell you that we have dismissed more people because of alcohol abuse than we are because of sexual sin these days? That's what's happening. And here's what I recognize. There's a PTSD from COVID. And so people, instead of going to Jesus, which we're all guilty of, I'm not guilting anybody. I'm not saying I have never struggled. I don't drink, but I'm not saying I've never struggled with stuff where I have to just go to Jesus. We feel the flesh, guys. We feel the flesh. We stop acting like we don't. We feel the flesh. And so because of this PTSD that people are dealing with, not just pastors, but people, they go to the bottle and they drink a little glass of wine. They feel a little better. And that's not wrong. But it's the next day. 
and it's the next day. And now this Bible gets further away from you. Prayer gets further away from you. I don't even know if I need to go to church and be around God's people. God's people, they're kind of annoying anyways. You didn't say that. You thought it, it but, but you start to get further away from the things of God. And then that one glass ain't enough. There's so much power in that. You know, it's amazing. I remember when I came to Christ, there were churches that were cropping up all over and they were doing all kinds of stuff. It was like beer and Bible, man, beer and Bible. That was their small group plan. How did that go? How did that go? Did it make more men be men of God? Did it make more women sensitive to the Holy Spirit? How did it go? It didn't go well. I've lost friends to this. I have friends that have been dismissed from ministry because of this. Everybody thought it was cute when they were doing it in small group settings. And all of a sudden, it wasn't too cute when we lost them all. That's what happened. Bridget and I, how many lives have we cleaned up? It started one way, but it didn't end that way. And you say, Ben, this is too much. Pastor Ben, this is 9 a.m. It's nice outside. Friends, <laughs> hear me. I'm not trying to shame you. I have the flesh. You have the flesh. But Paul warned his people. And unfortunately, we're living in a time where people are moving into licentiousness. It's like, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. If you take your hand off the wheel, you and I are no exception. We're not. We're just not. That's what happens, guys. And so some of us, you should never drink. You should never drink. Now, I want to say this too, and this may be uncomfortable, but we're already here. Somebody pointed out to me, that when you look at the word drunkenness, it means intoxication. And when you look at the word intoxication, it doesn't just mean alcohol. And I thought that was interesting. So I kind of followed the rabbit trail. And I realized that there's scriptures that talk about people's attitudes in the end times. Now follow closely. It says at least three times in the New Testament that the attitude of the last days will be this. People will eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. You guys remember this scripture? We will eat, drink, and be merry because that's why we eat and drink is to be merry, is to feel a certain way. Tomorrow we die. We've got nothing to care about. Jesus is not gonna return. Eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow we die. And somebody pointed out to me a long time ago, they said, it is possible that you can be intoxicated on food. Eat, drink, be merry. And I thought, no, that's not, that's not real. And then I read this passage, and you don't have to agree with me, but I want you to consider it. Ecclesiastes 10.17. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. And I started thinking about that. You know, some people, sometimes I, have gone to food instead of the bottle. And it has provided for me some type of satisfaction that I wasn't willing to acknowledge that it was the flesh. And if you've ever heard me talk about, you know, struggle with weight or whatever, it might be a little uncomfortable. But I remember a time where I grew, not in the Lord, <laughs> and, uh, and I was working. I was overworking. And during that season, um, you know, I wasn't taking care of myself. And so instead, when, you, when, you're in, when you're not taking care of yourself and you go down that road, what happens is to feel better about yourself, you have more of the thing that makes you feel bad and makes you bad. And then you end up feeling worse. Isn't this what sin is like? And food is not bad. We like 
food. I hope you don't love food, but we like food, and it can be a trap. And I recognize that for myself. And one day, the Holy Spirit said to me, I want you to get prayer. Now, I had trained all of the prayer team. I didn't want to go submit myself to get prayed for by the people that I trained to pray because I knew they were Pentecostal and I knew what they were going to do. They're going to lose their mind and pray for me like they didn't even know me, and they did. I walked up to them and I said, I have a problem with sugar and I have a problem with eating things that I know I shouldn't and I have no discipline in this area. I had to humble myself to the Lord and to others. And I just want to tell you something that happened. They laid hands on me and they called heaven down and I was very uncomfortable. It was like they prayed for me like they didn't even know my name. Lord, we just pray for this person that they are uncontrolled and undisciplined, Lord. And I'm like, quiet it down. I'm an ordained pastor, quiet it down. They didn't care. They didn't care. And apparently God doesn't care because here I am talking to you about it. And uh, I got set free. God empowered my will to make choices that I found powerless to. My flesh was overruling me because I was sowing to it and I needed a change. It's called repentance. And I humbled myself and I asked for that grace of God through the Holy Spirit and he came. Something so minor, we don't think about. And he came and he empowered me and things changed. That humility was worth it. Humility was worth it. Humiliation. (laughs) Amen. He says, revelries and orgies. This, this doesn't just mean sexual. We tend to think like that, but it means participating in wild, unrestrained, party-like environments. So this isn't just what you do. It's where you go. It's the participation. It's being complicit to something that is happening. Even if you're not necessarily the one that's doing it, you're still part of it. Ow, ow. The question that we have to ask is, are we fleshly or worldly Christians? Or are we spirit-filled Christians that are growing more in the likeness of Jesus? That's the question you have to ask. Well, how do we overcome the flesh? And how do I tell you that in eight minutes? And I'm so glad you asked. And in eight minutes, I am going to tell you. Number one, deny your fleshly desires. Now, in this passage, he says, we have crucified. So he's talking positionally. We've already done that. We've crucified the flesh and all of its passions and desires. Positionally, that's true. And so we stay in line with what is already true about you. But in Romans 8, he says, put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he tells us abstain. That's make a choice. Abstain. You get to choose. Now in Romans 13, 14, he says, make no provision for the flesh. And that means that we deal with it in in advance, knowing our struggle already. That means if you know you struggle with something in a conversation, if you have a problem where your mouth will say things that you you can't get back and you shouldn't be saying, you excuse yourself. Because in advance, you know that you'll participate in that. I don't know what you have to do, but if you know it's your struggle and something starts to happen... Instead of saying, I'm strong enough for this, sometimes we have to excuse ourselves and deny and put to death fleshly desires, even in advance. That's what he's talking about. Do you remember when Jesus talked about this with different language? He was more severe. This is Jesus. It's not like the hippie Jesus, you know. It's Jesus. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, what did he tell you? What did he tell you? What? Could you imagine what Peter and John were thinking? What did he just say? In case they didn't hear him, he said, if your right hand causes you to sin. (laughs) 
He was pretty serious. He was pretty serious. Do you think that Jesus knew something that we often act like isn't true about us? He's saying if you mess around and you know that this is going to happen and you mess around and you act like it isn't going to cause you to be bound, watch what happens. Instead of waiting to see what happens, just cut it out. My, my wife asked me as I was talking to her about this the other night, she said, she said, what is your greatest struggle when it comes to the flesh? Thank you, for Bridget, for asking me that question. <laughs> but it actually was respectful, and I appreciated her doing that because instead of her telling me what it was, she, she asked me. So <laughs> married couples, I want to give you an example. <laughs> I want to give you an example to follow. So thank you, my wife. Um, and I told her without praying about it or fasting, I, I know what it is. My number one go-to drug of the flesh is being critical and judgmental. That's number one. That's number one. I know you don't want that to be true of me, and you can judge me, and I'll judge you right back, apparently. That's what, that's what I'll do. <laughs> apparently, I'm good at it, so bring it on. And, and my, second, my second is idle words. Jesus calls them careless words. We give an account for careless words. I actually, I actually did it. I, I did it. I did. I think I did it yesterday. I was talking to Ryan. Maybe he forgets, but I said something that I didn't need to say. He asked me a question, and I said something about a situation. I and I've crafted it so sophisticated. Does anybody? Your flesh has gotten a little more sophisticated. So I was like, well, I didn't say. I didn't say anything bad, but you didn't need to say it. And every now and again, I walk away from a conversation, and I go, I shouldn't have said that. That's sin. That's sin. Isn't it? Or what is that feeling, guys? Was that like, well, I could have made a little edit or adjusted. God doesn't really care. He kind of went. No. The Bible talks about having a pure stream flowing out. That's what I want. I don't want an edit. I don't want a little bit better. I want to be like Jesus. I want the fruit of the Holy Spirit to come out of my life, and sometimes it doesn't. And I'm acknowledging that, so I have discernment. Number two is walk by the Spirit. Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And in their day, walk was a metaphor for the daily Christian life. That's what they did. They walked everywhere they went. Most people didn't have a horse or a donkey. They definitely didn't have planes, trains, automobiles. So they walked. So walking was a metaphor for daily life. And, and I want to say to you that being a spirit-filled believer is not about having occasional experiences with the Holy Spirit. It's about waking up in the morning and saying, fill me with your power. Fill me with the principles of, of the scripture. Fill me with a life that is aware and sensitive to your presence. That's what it's about. It starts there. But it also means follow closely because in verse 25, he says, stay in step with the Spirit. Stay in step with the Spirit. The only thing that came to my mind when I thought about what does it really mean to follow the Holy Spirit? If Paul says, for those of us that clearly have the flesh, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not do that. And I thought, man, we have to know the answer to what that means then. If you want to be free, and I want to be free. And so the picture that came to me was, have you ever signed up for going somewhere with a friend. They're like, hey, we're going to go to this restaurant. You get in your car, I'll get in mine, and you follow me. And you're like, cool, no problem. And so you lazily, casually get into your car, buckle your seatbelt, 
put it in drive, and then you realize that they grew up driving on the Autobahn. <laughs> you went from casual driving to... Li- you, all of a sudden, you realize that it's going to take a lot of, let's say, everybody say the word focus. It's going to take focus. You have to follow closely. You have to focus. You can't just like, oh, look at those trees. This is a great time for me to call one of my kids. No, no, no. You, you, if the phone rings, you don't pick it up because you are trying to follow someone so that you reach your destination. If you can't follow them or you lose them somewhere along the way and they didn't give you the name or the address, you don't know where you are. And what you have to do is stop and call them and say, where are you and what is the address? And I think our spiritual life is a lot of, a lot of the times is like that is we have to stop and we got to go, where are you Lord? And where am I supposed to be going right now? Because I stopped following you. And I'm stuck on the side of the road. And that's okay if that's where we are. But when we get back in the road or the car of life, following the Holy Spirit means getting up in the morning. And Jesus is the first person in our mind. I want to follow him. I want to be like him. And if we do something out of order, we ask him to cleanse us and forgive us and empower us. We're looking for Jesus. We're not just waiting for Jesus. We're looking for him. We're following the spirit of God. And when you're following the spirit of God closely, you don't have time for these other things because you can't even see them. You're not paying attention to them. They're there, but you don't pull over and, and hang out in those places. It's a full-on surrendered life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to follow the Holy Spirit. And so Paul gives us the answer, and I've got a lot of other things, so to the Spirit. The Bible's clear about that. I want to close with this because I can't go into the other two points. But as I was praying over this weekend, I was directed in three ways. And the first was to invite you into a relationship with Jesus. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that is where you start. You have to start there, surrendering your heart to the Lord. You don't clean up and come to God. You come to God and he begins to clean you up. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Communion is all about that. It's the recognition of the body given and the blood shed. Jesus did the work. We enter in by faith. It's so beautiful. It's compelling to me. It's compelling. Every day of my life, it's, he's compelling. So some of you, or maybe if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you into a relationship with him. It's not just adding him to your life, it's surrendering your life. That's what he's talking about. And, and number two, for everyone else, I, I want to invite you into a deeper relationship with Jesus. You can't overcome the flesh with some kind of miraculous bam prayer, okay? It's daily following him. It's daily following him. It's waking up and when am I going to read the word and I'm going to pray and you drive in your car, you turn your music off and you're spending time with him. Your heart longs for him and, and you make that real. You make that real. And, and, and if you're struggling with making those choices and your flesh is growing more than the spirit in your life, if that's true, stop where you are and say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit and empower my choice because I'm not able to do that right now. I've not been able to overcome and the flesh is growing. You stop like I told you I did in that one area of my life. You just stop and ask him to invade and he will. 
He'll fill your life. Say, Lord, my will is weakened. I'm not making daily decisions and I want to wake up tomorrow and I want that to come out of my heart and I admit that I'm weak and I'm frail and I can't do it. Friends, it's humility that God answers, isn't it? In the same way that we came to Christ, I need you and you are who I need and you have what I need and it's your grace, it's not my works. The same way that you come to him is the same way you walk with him. I need you. I want more of you. I'm following you and you alone. This is the beauty of the gospel. It never stops. It just gets better. It just gets better. That's why Paul told the Galatians, who bewitched you? Having begun in the spirit, you think you can carry on in the flesh? You can't. No one can. You're not strong enough. You're not powerful enough. You're not spiritual enough. You're not knowledgeable enough. And that never changes. Do we grow in knowledge? Yes. Do we grow in strength? Sure. Do we grow in understanding? Absolutely, but we never grow out of dependence. You never grow out of dependence. And so I want to invite you to a deeper relationship with Jesus. Admit to him, Lord, the flesh is growing. What are you sowing to in your life and which one is growing? Are you getting more like Jesus? Loving, kind, gentle, patient. That's what he describes, right? Or is, it, or is it these other things? Contentious, selfish, envious, strive. And then the last is, uh, I want to invite you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's where you need to start. You got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I had this vision of a jar of marbles. And the jar of marbles looks full, doesn't it? You could picture it in my hand. It's not there, but you picture it. The jar of marbles is full. It feels full, it looks full, but how many of you know there's a lot of cracks in there? And so life will fill up those cracks with everything you don't want. The flesh will fill up that jar with everything you don't want. So we have to be intentional to fill our life with what God wants. No matter how full your life is, we still have room. We've got a lot of room. And I wanna say that to you today. Somebody in here, you need to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit refilled with the Holy Spirit. So let's pray to that. And would you stand up as I close? I want to invite you forward. For some of you, it's to respond to Christ for the first time, to respond to Christ for the hundredth time, to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. If that's you, after I pray and dismiss, we're asking you to come forward. Our pastors and our prayer team is available. We want to lay hands on you. We want to pray for you. If you feel like you need deliverance, something is bigger than you, And you need people around you that believe, that love God, that love you. And we just want to pray that God would set you free. If you need that, we're going to pray every week for that. And we need that to happen. Some of us need that. Not all of us, but some of us need that. And it's our humility often that's the key that unlocks that next level of freedom that God has. And so I invite you to come forward after I pray. Father, we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus for your freedom that you offer in Christ. And freedom actually is free. That's the beauty of it, Lord, and I thank you for it today. And God, I just pray for us as we walk in this world, we admit that we can sow to the flesh, but it is not who we are and it's not what we want. And so I pray, Father, that you would teach us how to live and walk by the Holy Spirit. Give us that clear focus. Father, I pray for that over each and every one of us. Show us what that means when we wake up in the morning all the way to when we go to sleep at night. We don't want just an occasional experience. We want to live in a relationship where we always experience you. Your presence, your power, your principles. We want it all. 
We want to glorify you with all of our life. We thank you, Father, today in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written. 